ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number one of Consider the Source. I am your host, Clay Scruggs. Hopefully this is episode number one of what will be very many episodes to come in the future. Today's guest is a personal friend of mine, someone I've grown to know here in the last year or so and become pretty good buddies. His name is J. Andrew Gore. J. Andrew is from Blacksburg, South Carolina, uh, where he's grown up and been born and raised. It's where I went to high school. We graduated from the same high school, although he is several years behind me. He is a student assistant coach at Wofford College. The Wofford Terriers are the defending SOCON champions in basketball for 2018. J. Andrew got to experience that as a freshman. They went 21-0 in the SOCON and beat Seton Hall in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, After that, they played John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats very closely, losing by just a mere six points. Uh, Jay Andrew and I sat down via Skype and had pretty good conversation, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. I hope he did as well. I hope you guys enjoy it. We talk about everything from his experience – his first year at Walford, uh, losing head coach Mike Young to Virginia Tech. Uh, we talk about him still being able to play American Legion baseball, even though he's now a freshman in college, and what that means to him to be able to play with his brother and his buddies and all the guys that he had a pretty impressive playoff run with his senior year of high school at Blacksburg. Uh, so we talk about that. We talk about some current events and the NBA Finals and we even touch on a little box and have a couple good laughs and stuff. And uh, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you guys do too. Uh, kind of a disclaimer before we get into it. About the one-hour mark, we had some major technical difficulties. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, our audio cut out from each other completely for about five minutes. I edited that section out to where we were basically just yelling at each other, hello, hey, can you hear me? So... That's edited out. If it seems a little bit choppy after or about one hour for just a second, that's why. But uh, other than that, pod, the first episode of the podcast went really well. I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. So without any further ado, J. Andrew Gore. Not yet. Hold on. Hold on. Now we're live. All right, our guest today on the very first episode of the Considered Source podcast is J. Andrew Gore. Uh, I've known J. Andrew for a while. Grew up in the same area, went to the same high school, played baseball and stuff with my brother. Uh, for those that don't know, J. Andrew is a student assistant coach uh, with the Walford Terriers basketball team. They are the 2018 Southern Conference champions. They actually won a game in the NCAA tournament. Uh Looked like they were probably going to beat Kentucky in the second round until Fletcher McGee went like, was it, James, like 0 for 12 or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it was that shooting. <laughs> it ended up losing by six points. Uh, so, Jandrew's going to talk a little basketball with us today. We had another guest lined up. I was going to ask Jandrew to do possibly next week and talk about the end of the NBA Finals, but our other guest – Fell through. I'm not going to name drop him just in case it comes on here later. I don't want to think I was talking bad about him or nothing. But uh, so anyway, Jandrew, what what did you take away kind of from the uh, from the 2018 season there 
with Wofford and how all that went. You know, winning the Southern Conference is a big deal. You, you guys went undefeated in the SoCon, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yes, yes. We went undefeated. This past season with Wofford was truly, truly remarkable. And in all sense, Coach Young said uh, many times that it was, it was truly – it was really magical you know seasons like that don't happen happen too often in any conference no matter what what type of team I mean you see Duke Duke had a super super talented roster and they they play in a tough conference uh in the ACC and they 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 lost a few games um but just going undefeated in the SOCON was a really big accomplishment it uh it shows a lot about the character of the program of of Wofford all the all the players bought in right. to what Coach Young Coach Young wanted to do, and they uh, they really got it done. And no task was was too high for for each and every person on, on that team. And being able to experience that, sit and uh, be with the guys every single day, and watch what they were accomplishing in front of like through my own eyes was 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 awesome. Uh, I know seeing seeing all the Wofford faithful uh, come and support us in in Asheville was a uh, was a true blessing. It they showed out in full force, and it really showed it put a testament to all the hard work that they they put in throughout the throughout the year. And right when we went to when we went to Jacksonville, that that was a once in a lifetime. Well, not a once in a lifetime. Hopefully, we can go again this year. Uh, make the tournament. That was. Truly, a, a really neat experience getting to go through all the NCAA tournament, uh, all the all the accolades and events that they had, and just getting to experience that. And playing the top-notch program in Seton Hall with with Miles Powell, uh, he he is a really true true tough man to guard. He he's a true scorer, and we did a good job on the defensive end, just limiting him in the first half, limiting the damage in the first half to him. Like I think we held him to like four points. Maybe or twelve points and like four sixteen shooting or something like that. It was some outrageous number. But winning that first game in Wofford history in the NCAA tournament was was really really special. And the Kentucky game, you know, Fletcher Fletcher's the guy. Fletcher was our guy all year long. He he's what got us there. He's bread and butter. We he lived by the three. He he could drive. He could do. He could create for his uh create his own shots but at the same time he was a dead-eye three-point shooter so going in we knew that for us to have a chance he, he was going to, have to hit some shots cam was going to have to play really sound offense and defense in the low post with kentucky's bigs and we were going to take care of the ball and nathan hoover really stepped up in that game and kept us in the game as as fletcher's shooting woes kept kept going um, each shot that he took versus Kentucky was a shot that we had seen go in time and time again throughout the year. So each time he would go up for three, it was like, "Here's here's the one. This is going to be the one." And just they didn't they didn't fall. And that that's that's something that you have to live with in knowing that the shots that he shot were were good shots. They, it wasn't like he was he was throwing stuff up. And the way that he shoots the ball is. In our eyes, it's a good shot, and then many of the critics in the public's eyes may may look bad, but 
we knew we knew he was going to be the one that either got us got us past that hump or we were going to be defeated. And there was some there was some troubling foul calls in that game. I'm not you never want to put the game in the refs' hands, and you never want to blame them. And obviously, there was many other times and things that could have we could have done to win. But the the last foul call at the end, I think we were down four. And, no, we were down two. We were down two. Kev Aluma, they throw it in to Reed Travis. He goes, Kev Aluma walls up, and they call a phantom foul call. And I watched that over and over. And he might be six six inches away from his body and didn't even touch him. So, right. that was kind of heartbreaking. But other than that, it was a remarkable season. And seeing – Seeing Coach Young leave for a opportunity at Virginia Tech was truly bittersweet. You don't want him to go. He's a remarkable, historic coach at Wofford, uh, top-notch guy, probably one of the one of the best men I've ever met in terms of humbleness and just all-around great guy. But seeing him leave and get that opportunity was really really cool. But the guy they got bringing in, Jay McCauley, he he is a top-notch top-notch guy in Wofford, I think they really got it right with, with getting him into the coaching head coaching position. He's a, he, he's a remarkable guy as well, and I'm really excited for this next year, bringing back, uh, bringing back a really good team, minus Keve Aluma. He transferred to Virginia Tech with Coach Young, but bringing back a lot of our core players in Nathan Hoover, Storm Murphy, uh, Chavez Goodwin, He's a, he's going to be a key guy down low. We we just now got a seven foot one recruit. He's he's going to help out a lot. Losing our uh, top three bigs from last year, he's going to help out tremendously. But we should we should surprise some people. Think they think that we've lost a lot with Cam Jackson, uh, Fletcher McGee, and Matt Pegram. But we should we should surprise some people. So this past year was really really neat. Right. I, I want to get into a little bit more about Mike Young and Jay McCullough here in just one second. But I want to ask, too, and this is something when I started thinking about having you on, uh, I really wanted to ask you because I remember it vividly. I had to go to Spartanburg for something, and I don't really re- remember what it was. Uh, it's not important to the story. But I was driving through Spartanburg, and right there at the college, I'm driving through past Whopper's campus because I, I always get off right there at 221 to – avoid all that traffic and uh so i'm driving through there and i noticed tonight the college basketball stars i know like mainstream college basketball stars and i was trying to hurry up and i think i might have been picking up dinner or something i was waiting on kaylee to get off work because i had a game set to record i was going to watch as soon as i got home now i'm coming through there and traffic goes to a dead stop this back <laughs> up like three miles from Wofford, and i was like what in the name of god is going on and I finally get up there to the campus, and they're directing traffic through, and I'm just trying to get to downtown. And I realize, what, scrolling through my phone in the dead stop traffic, that Wofford's playing North Carolina. Well, naturally, based off of Wofford's past, you know, that they were willing to go to other schools. They're playing North Carolina in Spartanburg. What was that like? That was, that was un, unbelievable. Um, growing up, here in Blacksburg, North Carolina has been really my favorite team. Um, growing up watching college basketball, I've been growing up 
uh, learned to hate Duke, but we all hate Duke. We yeah, we love <laughs> we've loved North Carolina. So we have we have season tickets to North Carolina football games, even though they're not they're not really they haven't really been good. But having them come in to uh, to Spartanburg is a testament to um, the respect that Roy Williams and the University of North Carolina has for Coach Mike Young. Right. Uh, going up. Not not this year, but the year before last, North Carolina was the uh, number five team in the nation, and Wofford we went up there, a uh, little on Wofford, and uh, we beat we beat them on their home floor. So right, I, I think that was a huge that was a huge turning factor, or a huge factor in scheduling a game um, scheduling a game at at Wofford. Now I know this year we have a three year contract with them it started in 2016 or 2017 so it's 2017 tw- yeah started in 2017 three year deal so we'll go up there this year and play in a non conference game that that game hasn't been scheduled so we don't have time but having them come in and just watching like the shoot around with them and you know passing Roy Williams in the halls is a, a hall of fame coach it's just it was unbelievable and the atmosphere that night on November 6th was was crazy. I know the first half I had to film some of my duties with being a, a student manager was we had to film all the home games. So the first half I filmed um, right beside one of their one of their managers. He was a junior, but they the place was rocking, and we actually I believe we had we had a chance to beat them. And if it wouldn't have been the first game of the year, I, I believe that we we had a we had a really good shot the first game, but if it had been later on in the year, I think we we would have we would have done some damage, done some hurting to uh, North Carolina roster. They, yeah, I, I watched that game and I I remember thinking like you know Walford's got a shot to win this, and it ends up you know uh, Coach Bachelor always told me I know he's probably drilled this in your head too, but eventually you know execution takes over, no matter how much emotion you play with, and I think that's kind of where North Carolina got you guys in the very end. And I agree with you. That, had it been two or three weeks before the end of the season, Wofford probably would have beat them. Now, you talk about Wofford playing high-profile games like that, and that was a huge deal than playing with Spartanburg. And I don't know how I missed it and didn't know it until the day of, but what what really put Wofford on the map for me last year and made me realize, you know, these guys are good. They, like, they're probably going to really do something in SoCon. They may have a shot to shock some guys come tournament time was – I was watching ESPN one night and it cut through to that Big 12 Tuesday or something like that, and you guys were playing at Kansas and really gave Kansas a fit in the first half and about halfway through the second half, and eventually you guys went on a dismal cold streak shooting-wise, and then they started to really pull away. What? So I guess what, what I'm getting at with saying that stuff is after last year, you know, you guys got thrust onto the big stage, hung with North Carolina at home, hung with Kansas on the road. By no means either of those are easy. Then you win the SOCON, undefeated in the SOCON. You go to Jacksonville, you beat a very good Seton Hall team. Uh, Seton Hall was favored to win the game, like on all the betting services and stuff. Then you play within six points of John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats. So, obviously – you guys can perform on the big stage. What's the landscape like for this year as far as putting you guys on the big stage? Do you, like, do y'all anticipate playing big teams like that again? You know what's scheduled. I, I don't, I guess, kind of what I'm asking you. 
I believe Coach McCauley is going to put put together a really really tough non conference schedule or really really favoring non conference schedule because really non conference yes it does it it really does matter in the grand scheme of things of rankings and your record but it's truly truly scheduled and really factored into getting you ready for the the conference your your conference schedule because Zocon is going to be really tough this year so I, I truly expect him to put together a tough a tough non-conference I know we're going to Butler this year uh, they announced that a couple weeks ago might have been last week we're going to Butler we're going to North Carolina they haven't set a date that's from the contract and there's going to be a few other schools I think there's going to be some surprises that are going to be pre- pretty fun um, I don't know they haven't they haven't announced uh, a lot more a lot more than those two games um, they should be they should be coming out with those that schedule here uh, here shortly so when they do it's gonna I think it's gonna be an eye opener to see that hey Lil Wofford's not not gonna lay down I think I think we're gonna have a uh, a really good really good year uh, right. really the you said you're talking about the eye opener us playing at Kansas I think one of the biggest Biggest eye openers this year was playing UNC Greensboro at at UNCG. It was uh, it was one of the first uh, first meetings. UNCG was the favorite to win the SoCon this past year. Uh, pretty much every every analyst and every beat writer had them had them projected to to win the SoCon, and we went up there and won by 29. twenty nine. We beat them by twenty nine. So. That was a big eye opener, and we played them. I think it was a week and a half later, or two weeks, for our senior night. And everybody was saying that's a fluke. It's a fluke. That that game was a fluke. And UNCG had a really good team. I mean, facing them three times, having to face them in the SoCon championship, uh, really just shows how how well coached West Miller West Miller has his teams. But they we they came to senior night and. We we beat them by thirty that night, so I'm. It it really clicked in saying, "Wow, we we are we actually are pretty good. We we have a shot at this thing." And right, I think that's going to be a fun fun little gig here here this next these next coming up years. While we're now, heading in the right direction. Now, I, before before we go forward and talk about one last thing about Mike Young and kind of Jay McCauley and stuff. I want to ask you this, and I meant to ask you while we were talking about North Carolina, but I wanted to mention that about Kansas as well. Uh, I remember when you decided to go to Wofford and stuff, and you were a senior in high school, I remember seeing something that about your mom posted on Facebook and stuff, and I actually found it again by accident trying to find the picture of you holding the SoCon trophy on the Facebook page for the podcast. You, you got accepted to North Carolina. And you got accepted to Clemson, and you're a lifelong North Carolina fan. What what sent you to Wofford? So there was a uh, I was dead set on going to UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, our enrollment deposit was due on May first. I was I was getting I was picked out my dorm. I was looking for roommates. I was I was dead set on going to Chapel Hill. And the day that we the day that we had to pay our enrollment deposits, they um, I went to go log into my account to to pay the deposit, and it kept kicking me out. And I was like, "What in the world?" Kept kicking me out. Wouldn't let me log in. Wouldn't let me get to my stuff to where to pay. And I was like, 
this is this is getting crazy. So I went I went to Wofford's, you know, just in case to save my spot at Wofford. I went and it logged right in, and I was like, you know, this might be a sign from God telling me I need to go to Wofford and Chapel Hill is not the right place for me. And sure enough, here I am a year a year later, and it is it has worked out tremendously. I haven't had any second second thoughts, any I haven't second guessed myself. Wofford truly was the best place for me to end up and being able to being able to work with the basketball team has been uh, such a blessing uh, people ask me all the time it's really funny um coach mccauley actually the first guy that i contacted uh after i got accepted to wofford and was looking at working for teams and people ask me they're like, how did you how did you get that job like how did you um who did your mom know or who did your parents know how much did you pay because they're like it's always about who you know and I literally just asked I asked coach McCauley if they had any openings and he was like we need we need help we have two senior managers with Will Stegall and Clark Allen which they were a true blessing this year uh with me helping me transition but he's like please come on we'll we'll get you set up and you'll be part of the team and I was like wow and people people are really really uh dumbfounded by the fact that I literally just asked my motto has always been if you if you don't ask the answer is always going to be no and even if you do ask and it's no it's like well at least you tried so i just asked and they were like yes come on and they treat they treated me like family from day one so imagine imagine how much much different your life would have been right now if if you wouldn't ask you know what i mean like that i i figured i didn't know and I'd never talked to you about it or asked you. I just figured it was something to do with your scholarship. I know you had pretty good grades in school and all that. So I, I just figured probably applied for some scholarship or yep. work study type deal because when I was in college at Spartanburg Methodist, I did some stuff with the baseball team. And I, my deal was kind of like that with you. I, I just went and asked Tim Wallace, like, hey, man, all my buddies are baseball players. Uh, I'm the only one in the dorm hall that's not a baseball player. Uh, you guys need a work study? And he's like, yeah, I actually need a guy to help me with field maintenance. So I was like, all right, well, that's me. I'll I was, do it. I was working I was working with the athletic training office, and I was – like, it was fun and all, but whenever I did, I was like, man, this, I really – like, I couldn't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. So right. as part of my scholarship, I had to have some sort of athletic work study. So uh, one of my buddies was a pitcher, and he was like, you know, Wallace needs some help. He won't tell anyone because he's too stubborn to say he needs help, but he needs help. Once you go down there and ask him, because you could just transfer out, you don't have to deal with that the rest of the year. So that's what I ended up doing. So that's true. You know, if you if you don't ask, the answer is always no. The answer is always going to be no. And I had a uh, I had an equipment manager job, or a I think yeah, it was it was equipment manager job with North Carolina football lined up. And the week before, I went to go sign my enrollment deposit. They said that the spots had already been filled, and they basically – they didn't lie to me, but they went behind my back and got some more people back. I looked into working with the basketball team at North Carolina, and at first, your first two years for your freshman and sophomore year, you have to be a manager for the JV team, their JV basketball program, which is a very, very big deal in North Carolina. They do a really good job with Coach uh, Huber Davis. He he's one of the he's one of the coaches, but there's twenty there's twenty student managers for the JV program, and Whoa. once you get to your junior year, they hand select six 
to be the managers for the varsity program, so the na- the national schedule program. And I went thinking, I was like, I'm going to Wofford. I'm like the main. I'll be one of the main guys next year as a student manager, as a sophomore. When if I'd have been at North Carolina, I'd have still been on the lower end of the totem pole. So. Right. Well, coming from coming from the small town we come from, you know, Wofford's a little bit bigger field, but you don't want to get in over your head. So, I mean, I well, feel like you made the right choice just hearing you talk about it. Now, last thing I want to kind of touch on with Wofford before we move on is uh, Jay McCauley. He, he's kind of thrust into a tough spot basketball-wise, taking over for a guy like Mike Young. Mike Young had been at Wofford, what, 30 years it was? It's the only yes. job he ever had, correct? Is Yes, it was 17 years as the head coach, 13 as an assistant under the uh, under the athletic director, Richard Johnson. Uh, once, Richard, once Richard got promoted to the athletic director, that's when Coach Young, he, uh, he took over. And coming off of a 21-0 season in the SoCon, that, that's definitely going to be hard to follow up in any, any shape, uh, shape or form, but I think the measure of success with with Coach Coach McCauley is how easy this transition has been. Uh, he's been a guy that's been around. Uh, his first stint in Wofford was a couple years ago before he went to Furman. Uh, him coming back to Wofford and then bringing in a Wofford guy, I think has helped out tremendously with recruiting and other players uh, staying, staying around the program, not transferring out because I know that's a big deal when you have a coach that's recruited you to come to you play for your school and then he leaves. I mean, I know that's tough, but having somebody like Coach McCauley in that's really going to keep pushing the Wofford brand the right way and already knowing the system and establishing himself as a proven and trusted individual in leading leading guys on the team is going to work wonders. I know all – all the guys, all the guys trust what he's doing and have and are going to buy into his system, and it's truly, it's truly going to going to make them stronger as as individuals and as men going throughout life facing right. adversity. Now, uh, moving on from Wofford there, which we could probably, if you and I sat here, we probably talk two or three hours about just that and get nothing else accomplished. But uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this too when when you were in high school and all. You, you were a you were a hell of an outfielder, and what what led you not to play baseball in college anywhere? Because I mean, I feel like I'm sure you could have, right? Yeah. So coming out of high school, I had a couple offers. Um, I had an offer to Erskine to go play baseball, and offered at Limestone, and I think I had an offer to go to a couple small schools um, in Georgia, but. Looking at it, I looked at Erskine. Erskine's roster, um, I talked to Coach Crocco. He called me on the phone personally and uh, asked what my intentions were. And I told him, I told him, no. But I looked at their roster, and they have 84 guys on their baseball roster uh, between their varsity and JV team. 84 guys on their roster. And I figured, you know, and the same thing goes for Limestone. They, I don't think they have 84. For, but they have a JV and varsity program, and if you get stuck on the JV program, I know I have a good buddy. He got stuck there, and, and it's like basically purgatory. You never, you never. And I figured, you know, um, I could weigh my options: either play baseball at Erskine in the middle of nowhere in Due West, South Carolina, with oh, nothing to do. Middle of nowhere. 
play JV for a couple years and hopefully get the varsity team, or I could go get a top-notch education at Wofford College. Now I figured, you know, at the end of the day, baseball is only going to take me so far. And, and once I get done with that, I'm basically at the even playing field with everybody else when I could go ahead and get – have an advantage or step up my my academic uh, integrity and stuff like that at Wofford. I could go ahead and I could go ahead and get a step ahead. So right. I figured that'd be that was gonna be the best option for me. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to become or work with athletics is if I wasn't gonna be playing anything in, in college, I'd at least like to be around the program and be around athletics as a whole. So right. that really led me led me to that. Okay, so you you didn't play baseball in college, you were a good baseball player in high school. Is so you're not playing baseball in college. Does that make American Legion baseball a little bit more important to you? Because you're out of school now, Wofford. I know you said tomorrow you start work with the basketball camp and stuff like that. But you you've been playing American Legion baseball here for post 109 and getting to play with your brother again, and of course probably some of your old teammates. And what's the rules on that? Like how how long are you allowed to play that? You. You're only allowed this year, right? Yes. So, so American Legion, you can play as long as you don't turn 20 during the year that that you're going to be playing that season. You can play. So, basically, if you're 19, uh, if you don't turn 20 by um, January 1st of that year, then you can then you can play. Um, I know. I know that. Uh, being able to play with my brother Jackson again has been really, uh, really cool, really, uh, really neat. Um, not being not being around baseball for a whole year kind of let me let me sit back and reflect on all the stuff that that I got to accomplish and got to got, got to got to experience through throughout high school. But ever since May May sixth of 20, 2018, I've I've been sitting there uh, waiting, ready to go. Uh, that was when our high school baseball season, and I think about it every day. Uh, you know, baseball was really my my one true love growing up. Uh, still, I still still am very heavily involved with it. I I love it to death. But getting able to play with my buddies again one last summer is really uh, is really really neat. And having just get, get have the time of my life and not really have to worry about anything is really really fun. So post one hundred and nine, if anybody's out there, they. They want to play during the summer. It's a really good program. Coach Terry Wright, he does a really good job. Um, he does a, actually a jam-up job. And uh, American Legion, Post 109, they, the BFW, they do a really good job in uh, supporting us in everything that we do. So it's been, you, it's been really, really awesome getting to play with, play with the guys one more time. Right. And you guys are supposed to have a game tonight, correct? I don't know if you're yes. yes. they because so it's pouring rain. Yeah, so tonight they canceled our game tonight, but tomorrow night we will be playing at Duncan Park in Spartanburg. Okay. So I'll leave uh, from my camp and then I'll just drive over there and we'll right. play. So, so what kind of uh, like how are you guys doing as far as your record and stuff? I know a few years ago, well, I say a few years ago, it was my first year out of high school. I remember when because I was good buddies with Caleb Burles. I remember when those guys ended up going to the American Legion World Series there in Shelby and stuff that. That was really cool. You, you guys, I hate to ask like a blunt question, but you think 
think you guys are good enough to kind of reach that level, or how have you guys been doing so far? I definitely think we're good enough to reach that level. We have three three top-notch arms, uh, potentially a fourth and Devin Hambright. We have Nate Lamb, who was committed to Clemson, went to Clemson yeah. and uh, transferred to SMC. He's one of our one of our uh, one of our guys. Chandler Brooks, he uh, he went to SMC this year. He was a reliever. He did he he put up some really good numbers. And then we have Kirby Connell. He he's going to Tennessee, as a bunch of people know. He uh, he's doing he's doing really well. Uh, Nate, I know he's he got clocked uh, this year at one time. He hit ninety six. At, at one point, and he, he's a big goofball once you get to know him, but him throwing, it, it's done a really good job, and Chandler's got some really good pitches. Um, but right now, we're three and two. We uh, we didn't start off the year very well. We're, we're clicking now really, really well on all cylinders, but we we beat Buffalo, and then Inman and Spartanburg once, and then Inman and Spartanburg beat us, beat us once at home. Right, uh, okay. Our region is post 109, which is us, uh, post 28, which is uh, Spartanburg, and then Union, which is Buffalo, Buffalo Union, Greer, and Inman, which is a bunch of high schools in Inman, which Bowling Springs, Chapman, Landrum, Burns, and and people like that. So we'll we'll play Spartanburg tomorrow night, and then we'll play at Greer on Friday night, and Greer. Greer right now is at the they're they're at the top of the standings. I think we're tied for second with Spartanburg at three and two. And we should have a good shot at it winning our region and making it to once we make it to the post postseason, all bets are off. We anything can happen. So Right. We're, we're really excited about that. I I just wanted to the main thing that kind of made me think about that there. Uh, I remembered seeing something and us talking about you getting on here. So and I know from going to the to the baseball games at the high school and sitting beside of you and juicy down there, I could tell like you would you would do anything if there was some way you could get on the field. So I figured that playing American Legion baseball kind of kind of meant a lot to you uh, because just sitting there by you, I I remember um, me and I don't even remember who I was talking to about it. Might have been Coach Ham. I don't remember. Uh, we were laughing at. Jackson struck out in the in one of the playoff games. I want to say it was the first one that was what against Buford. Yeah, uh, so I think he struck out. Yeah, because he was pitching that night. So it was against Buford. He struck out, and I remember seeing you like I almost wondered if you were going to get up and just walk into the dugout and sit down because you edged up to the end of your chair and you looked like you had so much you wanted to tell him. He turned around, looked at you, and you just said, "Hey, man." Swing at strikes and sat back down. Your chair. <laughs> like you were so bad. <laughs> yeah, watching them throughout. I mean, growing up and and playing with all those guys on the high school team and getting to watch them and all the success they had this year was was a blessing. It was pretty pretty neat to just be able to sit back and be a spectator and see all the stuff and be like, hey, you know, I experienced that that too. Um, but getting being able to be a spectator is. Uh, Really opened my eyes to different different avenues and a different perspective on on what what baseball, what life, and what playing with with teammates and stuff is really really all about. Right. I mean, I, I can only imagine kind of the roller coaster you went through mentally and emotionally with that because you know Blacksburg means a lot to me and always has. And uh, being there to see that, I I enjoyed every moment of it. But all those guys were 
for your old teammates from a year ago. So I can imagine what it did to you. And I'm going to have Coach Batser on. He's actually going to be on next week. Uh, we're probably going to record it this weekend, and I'm going to talk to him about all that. But I, before we move on, I, I just want to say for everyone listening, I don't care if someone from Landrum hears it or whatever. I, I think we were the best team in the state. We didn't start out that way, but I think by the end of the by the end of the year, I think we were perfectly capable of beating Landrum how we got to play them, and uh, I think we were capable of beating Oceanside. I really thought Oceanside may beat Landrum, but Todd Harris can just flat throw a damn baseball. So. Uh, and maybe that helped out Landrum a lot. But I think – like, I really honestly think we were the best team in the state toward the end of the year. So, now, with me thinking that and the roller coaster ride I went on emotionally, yours had to be, like, ten times worse because that's your brother, that's your friends, your old teammates. And yeah. I, I could see that sitting beside you a lot of the games and stuff, like how, how much you would have gave anything to have been out there and helped rather than just cheering them on. So, uh that was kind of what led me to ask you about Legion baseball because I'm sure that means a lot to you. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, hats off, hats off to Landrum. I'm. I will never take take anything away from them. They. Uh, they went out and did it. They went out That's and got. Right. They went out and got it. So there's no there's no shame no shame in that. But I really would have wished we would have we would have got to have played them again. Uh, starting off the season the way that Blacksburg did, I know that. Uh, it really puts a churning in your gut knowing that if we'd have been playing the same baseball at the beginning of the year that we were at the end, um, things might have turned out a little bit different. Um, but as as hard as it is to say, as hard as as sucks it is it uh, as it does to say, uh, at least the state championship came back to Region One Two A. Um, you know, it didn't, it didn't fall in our it didn't fall in our favor, and cars didn't fall our way. Um, couple mistakes, couple of uh, couple of just young guys, not not really uh, not really having a lot of experience um, in key moments, but at, at least it came back to them. And I know it, I know it hurts a little bit. Some people will think about this in a while, but you know you can hang you can hang your hats on the fact that that you had you had one of the best teams in the state of South Carolina, so. right? Right, no doubt about it. Uh, all right, so moving on, you know, uh, like I said, we could probably sit and talk about high school baseball and Walford and all that all day, but I, I want to try to keep the podcast within about an hour or so. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, moving on into the national scale of things. NBA finals are going on. Uh, I, I thought it was over the other night. I thought, thought it was over. And then KD decides he's going to play. And as soon as he said it, I was like, that man does not need to be on a basketball court because I watched him get hurt the first time. And I could tell, you know, kind of from – I'm a lifelong Kobe Bryant fan. I'm not really a Lakers fan, but I always loved Kobe Bryant. And I remember when Kobe uh, ruptured his Achilles. His Achilles, yep. And uh, I saw the way that KD went down, and I said, that's an Achilles. Like, he, he ruptured his Achilles. But then – and this sounds funny – as an evaluation of an injury. But then the next game, you know, uh, like game two of the finals, Golden State wins in Toronto. And here comes KD running down the hallway. I see this video on Instagram. He's running full sprint, jumping around like he won the finals on his own, talking junk to Drake with that 
see in the bay, Aubrey, and all that stuff. He was yelling at him. And I was like, well, maybe he, he is rehabbing. He's coming along pretty good. But the more I heard about it, I thought, I thought, you know, he must be pretty bad hurt. And then he comes out and drops, what, like 12 points in 12 minutes played. He was the best player on the floor in game five. And it was clear that he was out there to, to save him. And he's dribbling the ball, kind of passes it off. He goes down. And that injury looked even worse than the first one. Uh, kind of what were your thoughts on that before we get into the game itself? Like playing hurt like that. You know, I know I know it's the blame game. And everyone wants to blame the, the Warriors. And some people claim to begin with that they didn't think KD was that hurt to begin with. Uh as a Kevin Durant fan, I, I've never questioned his love for the game of basketball. So I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that he wasn't wanting to play or anything like that. Like, I think what happened was Katie felt the pressure, and he wanted to play. He wanted to help his teammates out, and I think he kind of disregarded his own health. And at some point, you know, it goes beyond basketball. Like, basketball's life, and he gets paid a lot of money to play a game, and that's true. But at some point, you know. He's got to walk on that leg the rest of his life. Like, what? What are your thoughts on that? Nah, I think I do believe that KD and them they jumped the gun a little bit, but at the same time, KD he is a true competitor, and all all he wants he is a he is a the definition of a hooper. He he plays basketball for a living, and he wants to be the best he can possibly be at any given moment while he's on the floor. And I believe that if he believed that he could go. And even if he was hurt, then I believe that the Warriors stood by his decision. And, yeah, it sucks that he got hurt, but there's no people that are doubting his, uh, like, doubting his injury and uh, all that. They You can't deny it when you see the video, and it looks like he literally got shot with a twenty two rifle in the calf. I mean, that right. thing, it, it looked like, like a bubble pop, and it just ripple effect. But just seeing that, and I, I honestly, I, I don't want to like make any bold hot takes, but I, I think the series could be, could be over with, uh, with the Warriors in seven. As when he went down and the Raptors started, uh, started cheering, I think that really sparked a fire in the Warriors roster. Um, now with him going down, there's going to be some key. I know that they had to step up in games one through four, but him going down. There, there's gonna, it's gonna offer some quality minutes for I know with Drebko, um, Quinn Cook's gonna have to step up really uh, a lot and hit hit some shots. And I know Sean Livingston, he he his mid range game is is unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen him miss a mid range mid range uh, jump shot. I know I have, but he it's it's consistent. Right. But with the Warriors, um, him jumping the gun like that, I know that. He wanted to do everything in his power to help his team win. And I think seeing his team, if they win the finals, I think seeing his team win the finals without him is going to really, I don't think it'll hurt the Warriors' chances, uh, but it'll definitely give him a different perspective of, you know, I if they can win without me, I'm, I might need to go win somewhere else. Right. People need to step, people that need to step up, I think will, uh, one of the most underrated people in the NBA, uh, I think, or this year has been probably Danny Green. 
he he has shot the ball real I mean kind of poorly as of late, but throughout the whole season he's hit shot after shot and his defense is uh been really really under or overshadowed by Kawhi Kawhi going going nuts with the Raptors this year. Kyle Lowry missing a lot of shots, but also being an all star in for like the third straight year, which I don't know how. And right. Siakam, his his uh, or Siakam, his upbringing or his breakout breakout year. Uh, I think Danny Green's going to have a really good. Uh, I don't know um, outbreak or coming out into the light. I think people will start respecting him a little bit more. Well, well, people don't realize too. I agree with you. I I, I thought when the series started, you know, uh, I thought that Danny Green had to play. As good as anyone for the the Raptors to have a chance. Uh, I'm really shocked that they have the Warriors on the ropes like this. Uh, but Danny, one thing too that that not a lot of people take into account, you know, and with the exception of Serge Ibaka, and not counting Kawhi Leonard here because he came with Danny Green. But other than Kawhi and Danny Green, Serge Ibaka is the only guy out there for the Raptors that has experience on this kind of stage. Kyle Lowry really doesn't. Siakam, where'd he come from? You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I think Danny Green's experience in the finals, when he when he was with the Spurs, you know, when they uh, beat the Heat there that year, I, I think it was, what, 14? Maybe, yeah, I think 13, it was 14. 14. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was right there in the talks for being the finals MVP. So, anyone that questions Danny Green's ability to play basketball and play on a big stage really, truly doesn't know what they're talking about. And right. I think that I'm like you. I, I think that he plays as big of a part as anyone. And with Clay and Steph playing the way that they played after KD went down, I think that they're going to have to have Danny Green. Pro- probably he's going to have to write the ship shooting a little bit, but, they're going to need him along with Siakam even more than he has been to probably take a little bit more pressure off of Kawhi because now the pressure's back on them. They play in the Bay, although I don't think home court really matters in this series because the road teams won four straight games. So I really don't think home court matters. But I can promise you when KD walks out on crutches or in a boot like he will tomorrow night and sits down on the on the bench, uh, Oracle's going to go nuts. And – the Raptors are going to have to deal with that yep. with their fans. And I think that the two or three guys, because you can include them, Ibaka, but I think the two guys that can help them handle that are Kawhi and Danny Green. So uh, we're on the same page with that. I think that Danny Green plays a much bigger part, a much bigger role than anyone gives him credit for on that team. I believe his leadership as a whole uh, has really helped um, – you know, if they don't have uh, any more people step up, I know Kawhi. Kawhi really can't do it on his own. You saw that with uh, with the Rockets this year and James Harden. He he had help, but it was really a one man show, um, and that's that's really not sustainable for success. I know Kobe Bryant touched up on this about James Harden. He's like, yeah, it's truly remarkable the season that he's having, but that's not going to sustain success. It's not going to lead to any finals and. Right now, I've heard rumors of the Rockets, you know, blowing up their roster. So, the Raptors are really going to need everybody firing on all cylinders for them to 
to have a shot because even as it looks, the Warriors are down 3-2, but I, honestly, I believe that the Raptors are on the ropes right now because after after they they got beat the other night, um, they went up they went up six with three minutes and 28 seconds left, and Nick Nurse called that timeout, and you could just tell the the energy just shift right back to the Warriors. It, it was it was crazy. I know Stephen A. Smith this morning he talked about it. Um, he's talked about it a couple times throughout his little his first take sets and on ESPN. But I think uh, a big momentum shift was with when he called that timeout and they came out and Clay hit a three and then Steph hit a three and then Clay hit another three and they go up three and it's it's in crunch time and they they it's like they just got punched in the face. So when that game was over, all the all the fans in in Jurassic Park in, at the Raptors, they uh, you could tell they were deflated. It was just so bad. Uh, Stephen A. said that he was on the elevator going down to the media room with like two minutes to go, and they had already had – he was on the elevator with the champagne. Like they were taking the champagne down to the locker room, and they got beat. So it's going to be – I think all once you get to game seven, all bets are going to be off, and uh, – the Warriors have more experience in Game Sevens throughout the their their finals run with conference finals, semifinals, and stuff like that than the Raptors do because not a lot of people have even been to the finals on the Raptors roster. I know Kyle Lowry's been put out by LeBron the past three years, so I think that's going to work to their advantage. Right. Um. Yeah. I kind of agree there with the timeout. I think that Nick Nurse called that timeout with the best of intentions. Uh, Kawhi just went on a 10-0 run by himself. And if you look at him, he was dead, man. He was so oh, exhausted. Oh, 100%. Which, at this point, they're all exhausted. And I think that he kind of his thinking was, you know, no one's making baskets for us or for them. The only guy I got that's doing anything is Kawhi. And he looks like he's about to fall out. He just went on a 10-0 run by himself. I'm going to give him a break, let him get back out there. We're going to finish this out, and we're going to go get fitted for rings and cut down the net and all that fun stuff. And I think that when they came back from the timeout, what, what he really did was he, he gave Clay and Steph, who were on the ropes and exhausted just like Kawhi, he gave them a breather. And they both come out, hit clutch threes. They played really good defense. I'm not a Draymond Green fan. I don't like Draymond Green. But the way that he got out on Kyle Lowry, who took the three to win, which wasn't a very good look and all that, but he got out there and played very good defense and got just got enough of the ball to get the shot off line and had no chance of going in. But uh, personally, my thing on that, kind of snowballing into that, I, I would have liked to have seen Kawhi try to take that last shot. I know he got doubled. I know he had people all over him, but, you know, like, you're a superstar. Yeah, yeah. Whether you really wanted to be there to start with, and I know that's kind of a placeholder for you to get to Los Angeles because that's what he wanted. And maybe he stays now. I, I don't know. But I, to me, I, I would have liked to have seen Kawhi take that shot. Whether right. Whether I'm a nurse or just as a fan. Like, a, look, you're down one. You can throw it up. You can throw up probably a bad look with two guys on you. If it goes in, you win the finals. If you could goes, also get fouled. Right. You could get fouled. If it and if you don't get fouled, it doesn't go in. Then you go to game six anyway. Or you All can right, pass but it to you, Kyle you, Lowry. Hold, you hold your head high with that. Right. 
with that outcome, right? You don't pass it to Kyle Lowry, who hasn't made made shots all year long in clutch situations or in regular situations. He has not really been a, a really good shot maker all year long. You're going to pass it to him to win the finals when you could shoot the ball and expand your legacy even more. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think he should have took that last shot, no matter how many people was on him. Right. Oh, I totally agree. You know, I think, too, this this doesn't have a whole lot to do with the finals itself. But I've questioned all year kind of where Kyle Lowry's head's at. Because, you know, I watch, the, watch a lot of ESPN, and I, I like watching the, the NBA, like, countdown shows and stuff. And I saw his interview with Doris Burke. And he, the man is in the hallway before every game doing his and DeMar DeRozan's handshake for God's sake, by himself. And all he wants to talk about in any interview he's given is DeMar DeRozan, his friendship with DeMar DeRozan. I really wonder how how much this affected him mentally and how much this affected his game as a whole that DeMar DeRozan's not in Toronto anymore. Even though he has Kawhi and he has Serge and he's got good surrounding pieces, I really wonder about his mental state being that He's not where he was with the Rosen. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I really, that, so I that's really a big one. had a big effect on him, whether people want to admit it or whether people see it or whether he wants to admit it. You know, he just claims, you know, he's right. The Rosen's just his best friend, but well, anytime, anytime you lose your best friend like that, though, anytime you lose your best friend, I mean, I know that hurts, but at the same time, he's got to realize that it's a business. And that's right. It all comes down to, business decisions and I think a lot of that had to do with yeah that's his best friend and that's his buddy and they've been playing together for what six years something six like years, that yeah. it's like six so or seven they, years, they've been together they've been together they know each other's playing style or whatnot but also I think a lot of it had to do with they brought in a guy in Kawhi Leonard where they wanted him to be the guy and Kyle Lowry's been there for for multiple years and they're bringing in somebody else to be the guy instead of letting him giving him the reins. They they went straight into giving Kawhi the reins and letting him do his thing, which yes, he's a top notch player. He's top five in the NBA right now as a player. I think that kind of hurt his pride a little bit and he, he tried to his his head hadn't really been been there. Right. Uh, I agree. Um you know kind of moving on from that and we've touched on it a little bit. What what do you think happens in game six? I know you said you said you still think Warriors in seven. I, I think I said from the beginning, and I, I know I'm wrong now. I, I said from the start, I said Warriors in five. But I figured that Toronto would just play really, really, really physical one game and be able to steal one. Uh, but instead, you know, they've rattled off three wins. They've, they've got Golden State on the ropes. Uh, some people seem to seem to believe that after the way that they lost game five, that uh, Toronto would just come out and shellac Golden State. I don't think that. I, I'm going to say, if I had to pick, I'm probably going to say this. Stay fold. Because I, I could th- see that. So, so what do you think? You know, like, what do you think happens in game six? Game six, I think it's going to be a lot of emotions. Um, obviously, from the Warriors' standpoint, because this could potentially be their last game with, with this roster, I know there's a lot of uh, free agency, free agency bubble, but I think there's going to be a lot of emotion, a lot of uh, 
a lot of excitement. You know, they get to play against their home crowd again. Uh, it's their last game in front of their home crowd for the year. Last game in Oracle ever because they're moving to they're moving to Oakland or right. moving to uh, I think it's Oakland. Or they might be no, they're moving to the Bay. They're moving to San Francisco or something like that. This is going to be their last game in in that stadium. They're going to, I think, Oracle Faithful is going to going to come out and they're going to they're going to do really well. Um, it's going to be one of the big storylines is going to be how do the Raptors respond after Game Five? I know a lot of people say, that, like you said, they're going to just beat the crap out of the Warriors, but there could also be them just fold up. You know, I mean that. That's a big, big hit, you know. That you're up by six with two minutes left, and you fold and lose by, lose by one. That, I mean, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. And if they don't swallow it, they'll end up choking. Right, uh, I agree. Uh, totally agree. That's, I, I think that's where you need guys like Serge Ibaka and you know, right. we're talk, we're Danny talk. Green. People that yeah. the Warriors have look, they have more experience in these in in these games, and I think that's where. It, What's going to come back and bite? Uh, what's going to come back and bite the Raptors? I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a good game, but at the same time, I think I think the Warriors have a little bit more experience in that regard. Um, right. Which that can that can come back and hurt you too. You you can start overthinking stuff when the Raptors are going to just come out and play. They don't care. So. So I think I think we're both in agreement. You know that that the Raptors just kind of are that the Warriors rather. I'm sorry. Uh, just kind of throw caution to the wind and go out there and get it done in game six. I think a big, I think a big part with the Warriors, and I'm, I don't expect much of him, even though I know he's good. Don't expect a lot to Marcus Cousins because I know he's hurt too. And so is Kayvon Looney and so is uh, Clay Thompson. But with no KD now, I feel like Boogie has to give you probably at least 10 to 12 points. He has to has to do something to take pressure off the shooters and really refocus the game a little bit down low to where he can kind of contend with the Raptors bigs. And if he can do that, especially in game six, and if he can turn around and do it again in game seven, then I don't see why the Warriors can't win. They won a championship without KD. I know KD's a huge part of it. I know they love KD. To them, KD's family, this and that. But they've won a, they've won a championship without KD. So they can do it again. Right, they're gonna need at that point. Though they also had Javale McGee, who played lights out in the playoffs down low. And I think that uh, Demarcus Cousins has to do the same thing, especially in Game Six. I think that yeah, I think that uh, Boogie has to he has to be more than a fowler. I, I think right. that that speaks for itself. He has to do more than just foul, and he has to affect the game in more ways than. Than just either rebounds or clogging up the paint. I think he has to score a little bit more. He has to spread it out. Which having Clay and Steph out there, if you don't have any down low presence, they'll just crowd crowd the outside, and that'll that'll be that. I think they have to have somebody down there that'll that'll really wreck havoc, or not wreck havoc, but actually score in the low post to spread spread it high, have a high low offense. Um, Kevon Looney did a really good job. And uh, I know the the opening rounds, and even even with uh, against the Rockets, but I think that he's going to have to affect the game more than just fouling. Same way with Draymond, he he's really come on in the playoffs. I know throughout the season they rag him about how such of a bad season he he had, and yeah, his emotions get the best of him a lot, but he still um, 
people are people are still saying that he could potentially be a Hall of Famer having having three uh, three Finals rings and right. being that that type of versatile player. Um, I think that I think that Boogie, but I do think Boogie's gonna have to affect it in more ways than just fouling people. Because if he then, fouls, he won't even be on the floor, and they're about to call for somebody else. Right, I agree. Uh, it, physicality only goes so far. Um, you know, we were talking about KD and uh, we talked about Kawhi, Kawhi and stuff like that. Uh, what do you think? What do you think happens this year in free agency? Uh, I guess we'll start with KD and we'll hit on it. We won't talk about it very long because there's still a lot left to go on. We still got the draft, and I know that affects a lot of it. And trades will be made before free agency and stuff like that. But you know, KD still has his KD still has his player option for this year. Uh, he has a one-year player option on his on his contract. He can he can opt in for thirty-one million and stay one more year with the Warriors. Now, what that means to me, it, if it's truly a ruptured Achilles, and I guess it is, I haven't got to read up a lot on it. I know it is an Achilles injury. If it's a ruptured Achilles and it needs surgery and the rehab and stuff like that, like we saw with Kobe Bryant, and he's probably going to miss a year. To me, you opt in, take the thirty-one million to sit at home, and then you renegotiate next year and figure out kind of what the deal is. Because I know the big draw for him was to go to New York, but I almost wonder if with this injury here and kind of the Warriors, you know, like we talked about, they kind of rushed him back and probably rushed himself back. I kind of wonder if they don't, if they don't go out there and be like, you know, look. You sacrificed a year of your career so that we could win game five of the finals. Let's not worry about you opting in. You just opt out. We'll pay you the super max of what is it, like $240 million or something like that. And you stay in, uh, in Golden State, stay with Golden State for another four or five years. Uh, what do you think happens there? I know that I know the big talk had been him going to New York, but. With New York already doesn't have anyone, you don't you don't really want to waste a lot of cap space on a guy that can't play for a year. I think if it truly is a ruptured Achilles, um, I don't think there's any question why he wouldn't uh, option. I mean, select his player option. I mean, he's already settled not settled down, but he's bought a house in Oakland or an apartment or whatever. He's been there for three years. I think that if it is rupture, he's going to be out regardless next year. So I would go ahead and option my $31 million and sit at the house and rehab and get better instead of signing with someone and then with less money because there's there's not – I think a big – one of the biggest biggest factors with KD is going to be uh, – not Kawhi, uh, Kyrie. I think that's going to be a big, big one. He – I see. I saw where he declined his player option with Celtics, so he's going to become a free agent. So yeah. I think that that's going to be a big one. Kyrie and Kimball Walker. That's going to be the two, two that I'll be I'll be looking for there. Um, I know Kimball. He's wanted to stay with Charlotte. I know that they they don't really have the money to give him. If they do give him any money. In, what he's asking for, which is two twenty one, two hundred twenty one million. If they do give him, 
they don't have enough cap space to go sign anybody else to give him help. So really, the Hornets are screwed. But I think the so you know you you were saying that about Brooklyn. I think that Kyrie would be. I think he would be a decent fit in Brooklyn as long as they can get someone to go with him. Uh, I agree with you on the the Kimball Walker thing. You know, and as a as a Hornets fan, you know, living where we live, I really hate to see what he's going through because the the whole reason you play any sport, and we both know this from our time playing sports, is you want to win a championship in something. At some point, you want to win a championship, and I know you see guys. Quote unquote, selling out to get rings. And Kimba's never done that. Spent his whole career in Charlotte knowing that they can't afford to get another superstar, uh, stuff like that. They had a big out there for a while and they, they played well together. But the problem is, he's not an elite big. And then they got, they got uh, Dwight Howard at pennies on the dollar. But the problem with that is Dwight Howard's not really Dwight Howard anymore. So I wondered, and I, I kind of figured it was coming for some time, that Kimba would just sell out and go somewhere where he could really be utilized on a championship team. And unfortunately, I think that'll be this year because I don't, I don't think we're going to pay him two hundred twenty-one million. And what really sucks about that is. We don't have a good draft pick. You know, his draft this year is really, really top-heavy. So, once it gets to us, we're going to be without Kawhi, or not Kawhi, sorry, without Kimba, and we're not going to really have anyone else to build upon. So, we're going to be back at square one. So, for I think really with Kimba Walker and where he goes depends on what loyalty means to Kimba Walker. If he – he decides, you know, he wants to be loyal and stay in Charlotte like he has, then he'll he'll stay. But if he doesn't, he doesn't really care about that. And he says, "Look, I, I've done my part in Charlotte. I've, I took them to. I think they've made the playoffs three or four times, which is a vast improvement since before he got there. So I, we've made a few playoff appearances. I've done. I've really reached the plateau of what I can do in Charlotte." It's time for me to do what's best for me. I think that's really what comes down to in free agency for, for Kimball Walker. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There comes a point I followed I followed Charlotte uh, even back to when they were with the Bobcats. Uh, we went and watched them play when they won seven games during the lockout year. Um, yeah, I did too. The all man, that was awful. It was very – it was embarrassing, but um, – I'm honestly at the point where I'd rather see Kimba go go somewhere and win and know that hey he's at, he's Charlotte made Charlotte made him or you know he he gave his all to Charlotte and him go win somewhere than for us to just him keep giving his all and us keep coming up short. Right. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Now there's two more players I want to discuss during free agency before we move on kind of start wrapping things up here in a minute, but uh, Kawhi Leonard, you know, we were just talking about him. He's kind of transformed basketball in Toronto. What, uh, what, do, you th- what do you think happens with him? think he stays? you think he goes? I-, I know he doesn't like the cold, and I, I know kind of 
you know, the whole whole deal was almost like when he got traded, it was like San Antonio sent him there because he didn't want to go there. Right. But jokes on them, he's in the finals, he's probably going to win it. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, I think I think he leaves, honestly. Um, I don't think he's really happy there, even though he is in the finals. I mean, he could shock us all and stay, but – I don't think his heart was there to begin with. Uh, there's, I've heard rumors that he hadn't even bought like a house or land in in Toronto because he, it was basically like a rental. Like um, he wasn't going to be there, uh, but only one year. So I, I think he leaves. Um, I don't know where he goes. I think he goes somewhere where he can get a max contract. Um, I don't. If I was him, I'd stay in the East. I'd go somewhere in the East because you're not getting yeah. out of the West like a dog. That's like a bloodbath with. The it Rockets is. on the come out, come up. The Warriors, the Lakers are going to be pretty good next year. Um, you got the Spurs; they're always well coached. The Grizzlies, it's it's going to be a whole hard fault. The Jazz, the Jazz are a young team coming up, and the Nuggets. The Nuggets really shocked a bunch of people. So I don't know why you'd want to go to the West, but um, I, if I was him, I'd stay in the East. Yeah. Him and him and Anthony Davis. I don't know why Anthony Davis was wanting to go to the West. I know it's all about money in the end, but at the same time, you 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 want to win. That's the only reason you're playing is is to win. So, right. That, there's for not going to be a lot winning. For some reason, Anthony Davis is on this kick about going to L.A. He's wanted to go to L.A. since the beginning, and now he wants to play with LeBron. Uh, and New Orleans wants whoever gets him to basically sell the farm to get him, and he wants out of New Orleans immediately. So, it's really really turned into a real peculiar situation there. And I listen to Colin Cowherd a lot because I, I like a lot of the points he makes. And, and he was talking about the same thing yesterday that we are right now, his NBA free agency. And basically his whole conversation really revolved around Anthony Davis. But uh, he up a really good point. And I didn't, I didn't really think about this until I heard him say, in January – the Lakers came to the table to deal for AD. They were going to go ahead and get him, try to make a playoff push. And what they brought to the table was, now, now listen to this, and if you already know, then you kind of know and you can laugh along with me. But if you don't, then listen to this and allow it to blow your mind. This is what they were willing to trade for Anthony Davis. They were going to trade Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, what's the guy's name? Josh Hart. His last name's Hart. He's Josh Hart. They were going to trade the number four overall pick and another first round pick all for Anthony Davis. And New Orleans turned them down. Well, now everyone else has turned New Orleans down. They're, they're not willing to give what New Orleans wants. What New Orleans wants for Anthony Davis, they say, is they want either two, all, two current all-stars or one all-star and a future all-star, plus two round, two first-round picks. Now, the Lakers are coming to the table saying that probably going to trade either Kuzma and Ingram or Kuzma or Ingram plus the number four overall pick. And, and the point that Colin Cowherd made, and this is why I said all this to get to this, is uh, one rule of negotiation in anything is you don't want to negotiate with yourself. 
And right now, the Lakers are sitting here negotiating with themselves about who they're going to give to New Orleans. And based on their track record here in the last few years, it's not going to surprise me if they turn around and give up Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, and that's their two cornerstones to build upon. Uh, the deal breaker here for both teams is the Lakers want Lonzo, but the Pelicans want Lonzo as well. And I don't think either one is willing to deal on Lonzo because I think they just kind of took him off the table because they can't agree. I think if they give up Kuzma and Ingram and the number four pick, I think that's ridiculous because although Anthony Davis is very good, he's the best big man in basketball, the, the game's changing. And he can't shoot the three, and he can't really run the full. He can block shots, play lockdown defense in the post, and he rebounds. That's it. To, to me, uh, he's, yep. he's the best big man, but we're not. it's not a big man's game anymore. If if this was the 97 Bulls looking to get him, you know, I'd say, yeah, yeah, sell the farm and get him. Get the guy and go win five more rings. But I, I don't think he turns the Lakers into a Western Conference champion. They're still not, they're still not beating the Warriors even if they get him. So if they turn around and they, and they give up uh, all these guys, they give up their future after LeBron for the present, and the present's still not any better than what they currently have or what they had last year. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. What what do you think it makes sense to give up to, to get Anthony Davis? Or, or would you even trade for him? At this point, point i don't i don't think i would trade for anthony davis i would just make him sit at new orleans because i mean he's going to be he's going to be a free agent after next year so i mean other teams i understand why the pelicans want to trade for him because they know he's not coming back so they might as well get get something for him you know they might as well Mm -hmm. get players but there's no no reason for other teams to give up their whole future for a player that's maybe got seven, eight more years in in the tank. I know he wants to play with LeBron, but LeBron, yeah, he may still be the best player in the league, and he still may be – but he's on the back end of his career and maybe in the back end of his prime. His prime might be closing, and he's definitely on the back end of his career. So, Oh, I agree. There's no way he can sustain that. I think LeBron in in L.A., I I think that was LeBron going from superstar stage to mogul stage. You know, uh, everyone does everything. Like, as much as we may hate it or love it or whatever, money makes the world go round. And LeBron is smart enough to understand. I'm not a LeBron fan. I don't like LeBron. But LeBron's smart enough to understand that that there's there's a life that he has to live with him and his, I think, three kids and his wife after he gets done playing basketball. And that time's approaching faster than than we may realize. And I think his move to L.A. was – all of his businesses he owns, located in L.A. Yep. His house, L.A. His kids like living in L.A. His kids go to school in L.A. I think him going to L.A. was, I'm positioning myself here for the long haul. And this is, this is where I'm going to, uh, wait a minute. Breaking news. Kevin Durant confirms he ruptured his Achilles tendon and had surgery to repair it immediately following his exit from game five. Wow. So there's your answer. It's, it must have been pretty bad if they had surgery that night. must have been really bad. But back to the LeBron thing, I, I, think, I think he went to L.A. To, to settle himself in. 
Uh, that's probably where he's going to live out the rest of his life. He's, he's going to be an entrepreneur. He already is. He's got more money than God. He doesn't need any more money, but, you know, if that, that lifestyle, he can make money, set his kids up for life and their kids and so on. So I think that's what that had a lot to do with. And I, I don't think that Anthony Davis and these guys realize it because now Anthony Davis has come out and said that the only two teams he'll go to is uh, is New York or he'll go to L.A. Well, you know, New York doesn't really have anything to offer New Orleans for. Draft pick. That, that's it, and they're not going to take that. So then we're going to go to New York with no players, and they're not going to trade away what little bit they have just to get just to get him because they did that with Carmelo Anthony, and it worked out awful. So right. they're, they're not going to do that. And I, I don't see – if the Lakers are smart, they're not trading their whole cornerstone for the future for Anthony Davis. But uh, I guess in conclusion of that on free agency – I, I want to ask you this, you know, because you're very knowledgeable of basketball and talked about it for quite a while here on the podcast. But uh, you, you think – I know it's kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty, but you think Zion goes ahead and signs in New Orleans? We, we, and further from that, if you were in New Orleans, and I've heard a lot of back and forth, do you, do you pick Zion or do you pick John Morant? I think, I think you – there's no – there's no way you don't pick Zion in that number one overall. As the if if you don't if you don't pick him at number one overall, you will get ridiculed until there's no tomorrow. Uh, he he continues to prove people wrong. I know him coming out of high school, people were saying his game doesn't translate to the college game. And then he averaged twenty twenty like six and like twelve. There's I mean he. he He's just going to keep dominating because of his size and his athleticism and his explosion at that size. There's just no, there's no stopping him. So there's no way that you shouldn't take him number one overall. If if they if they didn't, there would there would be uh, there'd be mass chaos in New Orleans. I think a lot of people would lose faith in, faith in the fan base already losing out on Anthony Davis after next year, and then right. that that would just that would just lead to to chaos turmoil. I agree. Uh, I, I like John Morant a lot. I'm still mad as a Clemson fan that knowing that Clemson was on the table to get John Morant and Zion and didn't get either one of them. So I'm <laughs> still very, still very saucy about that. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree. And and I never thought that Zion was that good until I saw him in person. Uh, me me and my brother yep. Ryan, you know Ryan, we, we went to yeah. Anderson Christian. His Zion's junior year of high school. I remember and, that. And we, we went to watch him play. And dude, we got there. And there's like, I swear to you, a hundred people in the parking lot. And we're walking around just in mass confusion because we couldn't find the door to get into the gym. Well, uh, this one guy's like, Do you guys know where the door is? And I was like, No, man, I don't know. I've never been here. And guys, like, I've never been here either. I just came to see that Williamson kid. And we were like, Yep, same. We'll walk in in this gym. You know, we both know the size of Blacksburg's gym, right? Yeah. And for podcast view, uh, listeners that don't know the size of Blacksburg's gym, that I just have to imagine this. Blacksburg's gym is probably, what, about 15 rows high? Wall to wall? I think it holds eight, eight, 800 people. Okay. Well, I'm this gym sure. might hold three. 
uh, there's it's like six rows high on each sideline, wall to wall. There's no seating except for one small temporary bleacher that they had brought in for that one game off the baseline. The rest of the thing, and the place is sold out. Like you can tell they've never had this many people in there because it was so funny. They were running out of every food they had in the concession stand. There were no drinks left. There was no aisle to walk in and out of the bleachers because people were standing in them. And <laughs> Ryan and I got there late because we didn't realize what it was going to be. We just thought, you know, these teams play in the same league every year. They know this Williamson kid. We right. didn't realize what it was going to be. So we get there and we're late. I just happened to see a little spot open up kind of on the side. And uh, I shoot over there and stand up against the baseline. Ryan and I would start watching the game. About six minutes into this game, Zion goes up for a layup. He gets tangled up with another player, and he falls right into my arms. I catch him, and I realize when they said that this cat is 6'6 or 6'9, whatever he is, 260, 270, whatever he's listed, it's the truth. He's a max truck. Yes. It, It was insane to me. It blew my mind. Yep. He, uh... I've seen him play. We went and watched him play at Wofford. We actually scrimmaged him my junior year. Going in, going into my junior year, we scrimmaged him at Chapman, and he had 16 points and eight dunks. And he wow. folded up. Yeah, he dunked on one of our one of our guys, folded him up like a chair. So <laughs> he's, he's well, the real uh, deal. What was the buzz like around Wofford, thinking they were going to get him? Um, I think I think. There was a little bit of buzz his ninth grade year going into 10th grade. But the summer of his going into his 11th grade year, he, he really blew up. And that's when it kind of kind of realized it was going to get out of reach with uh, right. with us. If he would have – he's been on campus a couple times. I know he came to some of the frat houses um, a couple nights. Um, but right. it's it was a – it was pretty neat knowing that you know, hey, he's from Spartanburg. He's going, he's going off to do big things. Oh, no doubt. All right, so uh, we went a little over on time. My goal for the podcast is to keep it within about an hour to hour and fifteen minutes. We're an hour twenty-two now. Uh, our technical difficulties we had, whatever happened there, took about three minutes. But uh, right, this is the last thing I want to. Uh, this is the last thing I want to touch on. Uh, well, I have two topics, but one is. Just- just a quick question, kind of for us to laugh about. Uh, the College World Series. Who, who you picking? You, you got a pick, or you, you follow it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with. I actually have to. I'm gonna either go with Vanderbilt or Mississippi State. Um, Vanderbilt's pitching staffs really, really come on as of late. Kumar Rocker, he he's unbelievable talent. He was supposed to be a first round pick coming out of high school, and right. he opted he opted to go to college. He didn't even get drafted because he told everybody that he was going to college. He wasn't. He wasn't going to go to the draft, um, which is unbelievable. And they they're hitting the ball really well. But Mississippi State's one of the hottest teams in in the country, and I I think that they got a really good shot. They hit the ball really well. It blows my mind, to be honest, that the SEC has four of the eight teams in the tournament in, in the College World Series. That that just shows you how good the SEC's been this year. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I really like Auburn, to be honest. They got a really bad draw having to play Mississippi State their first game on Sunday. Yep. So that kind of pushes them out. Uh, but I'm like you. I, I really like Vanderbilt. I like Florida State also. But I'm going to say 
that probably the winner of the opening round game between Vanderbilt and Louisville is probably yes. the winner of the College World yep. Series, if I had to say. And like you okay. said, I, I really like Kumar Rocker, so I think he's probably going to be the, the deciding factor for Vanderbilt. But I think I really think that when I look at those eight teams, it comes down to Louisville or Vanderbilt for me. It really sucks that they play in the very first round. Yep. But I, I think the winner of that uh, – Puts the loser on the ropes. You, you know how hard it is in a double elimination. Oh, yeah. Like that. So, uh, I think the winner of that is probably going to win the whole thing. I think it's uh, – I think it would be pretty neat if Florida State won just because their head coach is retiring after this year, and he's had a right. remarkable and unbelievable career, not right. even an unbelievable year. And he, he set a record that probably won't ever be broken. He, he's won, I mean, 40 games for 40 years. He's had like 2,000 – 2,000 wins, it's just un- unbelievable. So, it's, and it's like, for them to it's win. like what, like 38 college worlds or not, uh, 38 like tournament appearances, something like that. 38 tournament appearances, he's yeah, won 40 yeah. games for 40 years in a row. Yeah, that's insane. Like, that's un- unbelievable. So, it'd be pretty neat for them to win, but I think it's going to come down to either Vanderbilt, I, the winner of Vanderbilt, Louisville, or Mississippi State, right? You know, uh, the last thing I want to talk about, and this this is just funny to me. I, I've kind of followed this ever since it happened. Uh, I watched it at home. Uh, we kept, Kayla and I took Asher to Dave and & Buster's and we came home, and I, you know, I worked third shift in my day job, so I just really wasn't ready to go to bed. I was going to stay up so I could sleep in the next day before I went to work, and it was Saturday night. So so I got to messing around on my Xbox, and I downloaded the zone. I've never downloaded it, never messed with it. Didn't really know what it was. I just knew that Canelo Alvarez and Anthony Joshua had both signed to have their fights on DAZN. So I get on there, and I go, I go watch it. And as I turn, in, turn on, Anthony Joshua's walking out to fight Andy Ruiz Jr. And I follow boxing a lot. I know you said you're not really in, in tune to it, right. but I follow UFC and boxing. Uh, this past Saturday is actually the first UFC event all year event, not pay-per-view, the first UFC event all year that I did not watch. Uh, but I, I follow all that really closely, and I know a lot about Anthony Joshua. I knew he'd been ducking Deontay Wilder for quite a while and this and that. But I, he was supposed to fight a guy named Jarrell Big Baby Miller, who is a knockout puncher. He's, he's very big. He's not incredibly athletic. Uh, he's got decent hand speed, but everyone was saying, you know, he probably could be the guy to beat Joshua. If not, then it'll just take Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Well, three weeks before the fight, Big Baby Miller pops for EPA, which for people yep. don't know, I know you know because it's very prevalent in baseball, stuff like uh, or PEDs are at least. And uh, we both, I've been to college, you're in college, we know what goes on behind closed doors and stuff like that. So, uh, EPO is a performance-enhancing drug that, that really helps your cardio. Right. Uh, Big Baby Miller. Right. Pops, it helps you cut weight. Yes, it helps you cut weight. It, the main thing it does is it helps you maintain muscle mass while you cut weight. Yep. And uh, so he pops for EPO. He gets suspended like a year by the athletic commission, whatever, whatever. So they're scrambling to find someone to fight. They find this guy named Andy Ruiz Jr. Andy Ruiz Jr. had a record of like 22-1 and one or 23-1, something like that. He only had one or two losses. And they say he's decent. He's like 
top 10 to 15 heavyweight in the world. It's not great. Never wowed anyone. That Supposedly his one loss was uh, in a title fight uh, that a lot of people thought he won and got robbed on the scorecards. Anthony Joshua ends up beating the guy that beat him, wins that title. Anthony Joshua has three of the four heavyweight titles. So they go into this fight, and man, I'm, I'm not in the best physical shape. I'm in the worst physical shape of my life. But I feel like in a, in a physique contest, I'm right there with Andy Ruiz Jr. His <laughs> physique looked horrible. And I was, this guy's about to get starched. I was, because I had watched Dominic Brazil against Deontay Wilder, the first round knockout. I was like, okay, this, this is about to be over within like three rounds, and I'm going to play some Xbox or something. Well, they make it to round three, and just as I kind of expected, uh, Joshua hits him with an uppercut and drops him. He looks hurt. I, I, this thing's over. Joshua's going to go land another one of those right uppercuts and stretch this guy's neck out, and this whole thing's over, and they get to start talking about him fighting Fury or Wilder, and that's what we all want to see, right? Well, yep. He goes back. They go back to fighting. Joshua throws that uppercut. He misses. He gets caught with a monster left hook, and it drops him. He gets dropped two more times in that round, gets dropped again in the fifth, and then in the seventh, he gets dropped, gets up, and just looks like he doesn't know where he is. The referee's giving him the standing eight count. He's turning around talking to his corner. He never puts his hands up. Referee waves off the fight. Same thing Joshua's first loss. Like you said, you watched it on Twitter. Everyone's seen it. We all know it. it happened two weeks ago now. Two days ago, they started negotiation for a rematch. There's a rematch in the clause. With If Andy Ruiz won, and Andy Ruiz admitted, he only fought Anthony Joshua for the money. Felt like he could beat him. But it was a $5 million fight to show up, plus a, a $3 million bonus if he managed to win. Made $8 million. It was a really cool story in the post-fight press conference. He thanked his mom for standing by him, told her they never had to struggle again, all this kind of cool stuff, you know. So uh, now they're negotiating for the, the rematch. He has to fight Anthony Joshua again within one of his next two fights and within 12 months of the day he beat him. So Anthony Joshua, that was his American debut at Madison Square Garden. He'd never fought in the U.S., never fought outside the U.K. Now they want fight number two to happen in the UK. And Andy Ruiz said he hasn't looked into any other fight. He'll fight Anthony Joshua again. But he wants it to be in Los Angeles or in Phoenix. Joshua wants it to be in the UK. So he said he would fight him in the UK. If only he could fight him for $50 million and a $50 million bonus if he beat him again. What, what do you think about that? Like, I know you're not very big in the boxing, but do you think, like, you know, you beat someone but do you think he should have to fight Andy Ruiz in the U.S. because he lost? Or do you think that Joshua kind of gets to dictate all this stuff because he he is the big draw, not really Andy Ruiz. It just happens that Andy Ruiz now has the best. And do you, th- do you think that they should pay him more? Well, to be quite honest with you, I will take uh, an uppercut from anybody for $50 million. So, um, At this point in my life, I might would do it for 50 <laughs> but I mean, you know, I don't follow I don't follow boxing a lot, but I think that since Ruiz won, I think that Joshua needs to come and he needs to fight him on his home turf. You know, I mean, 
you got to give him the benefit of the doubt that you know he beat you square up. Yeah. So if you want a rematch, then you got to come beat him. In a he place. didn't beat him. He dominated him. He was winning the fight on the scorecards before he knocked him out. He, I mean, yeah, he, I mean, it was bad. Yeah, if you, if it gets if you get humiliated like that, you need to prove yourself in a place that that makes you worthy. I mean, if you win on your home floor, I mean that oh, good for you. Well, you had the advantage, but I mean he beat you fair and square, so you got to go redeem yourself wherever he wants you to. You, you can't you can't pick stakes if you're you're against the ropes. And fifty million dollars is uh is a lot of money. So I would I'd go fight him wherever he wanted me to. We could go to the Sahara Desert in the middle of Broad River. I'd fifty million dollars right. no, fifty million dollars. Yeah, fifty fifty million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so that's that's really all I had. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about that because I thought I thought it was kind of funny, you know, that we didn't know about the guy, and now, now he's kind of put he kind of pushing around the guy that really that really made him what he is by giving him that fight. I, I just thought that was funny more than anything. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I really appreciate uh, you talk you talking to us and all that, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Good luck with the oh, yeah. whole Legion baseball and. With basketball you, this coming year, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for having me on. Hopefully, I can come back, come back on soon. All right, thank you, man. You're welcome. And there you have it. That concludes our conversation with Jay Andrew Gore, and also concludes episode number one. If you like what you heard, give us a five star rating. Leave us a nice review. Subscribe to the podcast, tell your family, tell your friends. And if you're not sure about some of the stuff you heard, maybe you should just consider the source.